Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Front Row. Tom and Keith back for another week. The news continues to be good. Boy, we have turned things for the better over the last six weeks or so. Florida State headed to the Orange Bowl. And if you didn't read the paper this morning or go to the Tucker Center last night, P.J. Savoy. Wow. Three words. Happy, happy, happy. (laughs) I wasn't sure which. I I was thinking three-pointer. That's two words. Anyway, seven three-pointers last night for P.J., and, I, and and the seven that he made, they were no doubts. Right. And he missed two that went down and came out. I mean, I had heard, we, you had heard, you and I had heard together, uh, individually, I was collectively. Say, we're not going to start with basketball, but we will because it was impressive. This coaching staff telling us quietly, you should see this guy shoot. This is, this is probably the best pure shooter. Uh, I've, heard, I've heard him being compared to Vaughn Wafer. Uh, I've heard him compared to what McLeod became in the NBA, George McLeod. He said, this is just the most gifted, pure shooter that we've seen come along in a long, long time. Well, he doesn't play the first five or six games because he's injured. Gets in, does a couple of nice things uh, while we were out of town. And then comes in, and, and Tommy, I'm telling you, you were doing the TV, I was doing the radio, Gene was in awe. Uh, I can't speak for Charlize, hadn't talked to him. Uh, the seven that he made, they were no doubters. They, I mean, they were good when they left his hand. Should point out, he also got fouled shooting one three and made all three free throws too, which is how he wound up with 27 points. So bottom line, last night, Southern Miss, as bad a basketball team as I've seen come into the Tucker Center in a while. I mean, they are a bad team. But let's not take away, let that diminish that uh, this Florida State Hoops team is out to an 8-1 start. And we, since we started with basketball, we'll just go through basketball now, and then we'll bounce back to the the Heisman snub and the, the Orange Bowl matchup. And Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles dot com insider, will join us. We'll get to all that. But this is a, a good basketball team, and it's living up to the billing. And what has impressed me, and this is probably on me more than anything, because the the freshman class or the recruited class, the newcomers, was highly touted. But the headliner being Jonathan Isaac, that's all I really paid attention to. And now we're nine games in, and C.J. Walker, really good left-handed freshman point guard, plays tremendous defense. Trent Forrest, even better defensively, needs to polish up the offense a little bit. Jonathan Isaac is is, is really good. And now P.J. Savoy comes out, and oh, by the way, he goes 7 for 10 on three-pointers. Now it's only a two-game sample. He's only played three games. He played one possession against Minnesota. I think he missed a three probably just before the half, if memory serves, in that game. He was two for four on three-pointers Sunday when they were playing George Washington, and he goes seven for ten last night. So it's a small sample size, but, boy, that's a pretty good starting point. Well, again, I'm just speaking to how it looks. You know, it'd be like that freshman running back that shows up that's six foot three, 245 pounds, and runs a four three forty. Looks good. Looks good. Looks good. So we'll finish the basketball PSA right now. They play Nickel State tomorrow night. Tomorrow night's a big night at the Tucker Center. There's a doubleheader. The women play Florida. The women uh, are up to number seven, I think, nationally. Florida's ranked. So that, that's a 6 o'clock tip. Get out and support uh, Sue Semrau's Seminoles, who have only lost to UConn at this point. Who, by the way, is what? 
Well, they play Notre Dame tonight, so uh, the, they're, they're still they're, they're number one or two, depending on who you talk to. Yeah, and Notre Dame is as well, depending on who you talk to, depending on whether you live in Connecticut or, or South Bend. But anyway, the men's game will follow, and it's scheduled to tip at nine against Nichols, and then the men play Florida, which really is going to be the best measuring stick so far. Florida is number 21 in the polls this week. That game is 4 o'clock on Sunday, so when you're done with your Christmas shopping or incorporated in, Go to the Tucker Center and take in some FSU Florida hoops. Tickets available, Seminoles.com. All right. Done with basketball for now? For now. But seven three-pointers. That was a, that was an impressive display. Probably the best three-point shooting effort since Dolkies and, and FSU just shot the lights out against North Carolina that one game and ran Roy Williams' team right out of the gym. By the way, the FSU record is 10, head, held by George McLeod. 10 made threes. I had to look that up. This is going to embarrass you. It was against LaSalle, wasn't it? I didn't look who it was against. <laughs> I just looked at the number. But, yeah, Tommy, you just did it again. All right, so let's talk football now. Uh, the Orange Bowl. I mean, when you look at where the season was, to where they're going to end up playing. Three and two. Didn't have a defense. Wanted to fire Charles Kelly. Didn't know Francois was going to be able to stand the punishment. Where just, where's Dalvin been? Where, what happened? Where's, where's Dalvin? Where's Waldo? Where's Dalvin? Three and two. To be at this point now, uh, yeah, that's remarkable. I mean, I love this bowl game for a lot of reasons. It being in South Florida, which South Florida has the biggest alumni population for FSU and Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach uh, around the state or anywhere for that matter. Assuming it's Dalvin's last game, which he hasn't declared as we sit here right now, but he's going to. Formality. It's in the 305. But more, mostly because it's an everything-to-gain-nothing-to-lose game. The nation will expect Michigan to win. Michigan's favored by a touchdown already. Uh, the S&P folks have Michigan predicted to win by 11. Everybody's going to be that school of thought. So if you lose, while we won't be happy as Noel Nation, it'll be what was expected. But if you win, you will open up eyes, and all this means that you will have a motivated team. It's a completely different deal than when you play Houston or Northern Illinois, and it's a nothing-to-gain everything to lose game and all you have to do is look at the northern illinois game florida state won easily got no credit for it so they gained nothing then they lost to houston they lost got blame every, for everything got blame for everything and and helped make tom herman a lot of money quite frankly at the university of texas as their head coach now he had some other big wins but that one is the one that put him on the map last year so all that said i'm excited about it and you're positioning yourself. You're sending a message to the kids. You're getting ready for, for, for winter workouts, spring ball, and if things go as they should be in the playoff pitcher, you will be playing to open the 2017 season against the defending national champion five-time in nine years national champion to kick off the 2017 season. I, I'm excited about the Orange Bowl for silly and simplistic reasons. I, I played in two of them. And the Orange Bowl was the first major bowl that Florida State as a program was invited to participate in. And uh, I just I just have such fond memories of how big that stage was, how, how neat it was. And, and, and I, I get goosebumps when I even think about what the opportunity is. I just hope that the kids understand that. I'm not sure I did necessarily at the time. My reactions now as a 50-something-year-old that looks back on it, but it is a huge, huge stage and a huge opportunity that I hope this team has now matured enough to be able to embrace. Well, I think that they will because the New Year's Six Bowls 
have become the ones with the most cachet now. It used to be a New Year's Day game, and then that day got overwhelmed with eight other games that started at 11, and so it got watered down. But the New Year's Six has carved its niche now. Is that if, if you're in the New Year's Six, that's the, the creme de la creme. And Jimbo's going to be happy to tout that because, as has already been pointed out, this is five straight New Year's Six Bowl games for Florida State, and the only other school that can make that claim is Alabama, whom FSU will meet when they've won five out of nine titles to open up the 2017 season. Uh, in Atlanta. So I think that they will be from that standpoint. And uh, the, the the irony, though, is that the game is actually December 30th. And if you dropped down a tier and we're in the Citrus Bowl, that game this year is December 31st. So it's kind of funny. But that was a con- that was a, a decision the Orange Bowl made to move to that Friday night window for this year only. The game's not always December 30th. They wanted to take the Friday night window. That's the only game in town for that night or nationally, I don't mean just in South Florida, and so it will do a huge number. Then the next day, you immediately have the uh, the Citrus Bowl and the Tax Slayer Bowl, and then you go right into the playoffs. So, I mean, right. that 24-hour span is going to be some quality football. And, and, again, I don't have any other thing to equate it to. Uh, you know, I was at the 93 National Championship game. Florida State's played in, in a number of uh, Orange Bowls, uh, apart from the ones I played in and, and that National Championship game. The Orange Bowl is just a great bowl. The, the the guys down there, the, the, the men and women that make up the Orange Bowl committee, the activities they have planned, the things that there are to do. Uh, my favorite uh, Orange Bowl story is going to sound like a negative story, but I've told it a hundred times, uh, and, and it, 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 it just continues to resonate with me. They took us to the – So this the, will be 101. Yeah, they took us to the Seminole Reservation. That's where the famous picture of Ron Simmons with the Seminole jacket on – holding open the mouth of the alligator. That's where that photograph was taken. I was there. I was standing there. I saw it. We left there, and they took us to the Miami Serpentarium. For those that don't know what a Serpentarium is, that's, I, that's where they keep snakes. I went there a couple times growing up okay. in South Florida, yes. And they wanted us to see the King Cobras. Okay, Tommy sat on the bus for three hours. You wouldn't even get off the bus? I would not even get off the bus. I hate snakes. I don't care. There's four kinds of snakes I hate. Big ones, little ones, dead ones, and alive ones. You find a snake that ain't one of them four, I'm okay with it. And you're I from, sat on the bus And you're three from hours. Wildwood. Aren't I you supposed to hunt care. snakes no, in that area? No, no, no. no you no. run from them too? Yep. Sat on the bus for three hours and was happy to do it. <laughs> well, the Serpentarium, the, uh, the snake handler, master, whatever his title was, he was the one that had been, when I was growing up, he had been bitten like 142 times by venomous snakes and, and kept surviving because they would rush him right to the hospital and get in the end of it. Well, I grew up in, in Wildwood in Silver Springs. You had Ross, Ross Allen, I believe his name was, who, who invented milking a rattlesnake. Now, that's an idea. Honey, get me another cup of coffee. <laughs> Let me tell you what I was thinking about last night. Let's milk a rattlesnake. What? Here's what I want to know about the Ron Simmons picture. Is that where we actually got the gator head that the team now carries around the field because we've been trying to find the genesis of it and ron simmons would be as good a finger to point i, I mean I, I honestly do not know the answer to that i question. mean if there was anybody that's played for florida state that probably would have taken out a gator and would still have the head to parade around it would be ron simmons it could be i don't know all right we need to point out as we always do that uh the fine folks at uh madison social are at it again and uh, Madison Street has expanded its offerings, if you haven't been down there lately, 
uh, not only the fine Italian cuisine that we've enjoyed uh, of late, but Township is now open across the street. I have not been in there yet, but uh, based on social media, I, I feel deprived that I haven't been there yet. In due time. But this week, they're going to have the tree lighting on uh, on Saturday night. Uh, the booze cookie party is tomorrow night. The tree lighting where they're closing down the street is Saturday night. Uh, it sounds like a block party to me and a reason to go out to no Township, pun Madison Social, the whole deal. No pun intended. No pun intended, yes. All right. Um, sometimes there's a block party for one, which doesn't sound all that that exciting but we'll take I, a break I've, I've been to a block party for two and and it's sometimes that, ex- that ain't exciting yeah, exactly, either exactly exactly <laughs> all right tim linefeld our seminoles.com insider will join us next and uh, we'll we'll stop talking about block parties and rattlesnakes and gators and we'll get back to talking about the orange bowl and the michigan wolverines right after this on the front row Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back. It's time to fire up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And we're going to welcome our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. And don't worry, Tim. We we put the bad company on the shelf for this week because we have no game this week. We will return it to its proper place to continue the good karma when the time is right. But how are you, sir? Well, I'm good. I want you know, I'm nervous about this. You assured me that everything's going to be okay, but it seemed like we had a good thing going there. I you, know, you could argue that bad company is directly responsible for going to the Orange Bowl if you think the way Florida State finished the season. Uh, had influence on that so okay we'll see but just just so we know i'm i'm nervous this just in tim they're not playing this week okay all right all right famous last word you know i just spoke to a civic group and i was asked to explain you know why florida state got better down the stretch and i gave a myriad of reasons but i forgot that one i failed to uh give that proper attribution to bad company on the front row and uh that was negligent on on my behalf well next time next time next time so, FSU Michigan, Tim, this is uh, what we were hoping for. As soon as Louisville lost to Kentucky, all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, this might actually happen. And I got to admit, I was on the paranoid side last week because I have no faith in this committee whatsoever because there's just been, they've been all over the map. And I figured they'd invent a reason to bump Louisville back ahead of Florida State. Keith's shaking his head at me as he does about Tommy, every five Tommy, minutes during Tommy. this show. Tommy, but uh, anyway, Tommy. bottom line, it worked out. We're not Louisville and we get Michigan in the Orange Bowl. Absolutely right, and when you think about where Florida State was, you know, two months ago after that North Carolina loss, the thought that they could play a, a team that I guess they're not in the top five now, but pretty much everybody had accepted as a top five or higher team in a high-profile bowl like the Orange Bowl, uh, I mean, it, it, it was almost unthinkable. So the fact that the season has worked out this way, one, it's it's great for Florida State, and two, I think it's a really big reward. Uh, Jimbo Fisher used the word testament, which I think is, appropriate for the way this team kind of pulled itself together, rallied down the stretch, got some nice wins, and, and finished really strong because, you know, after that UNC game, it kind of could have gone either way. I think we all sort of thought that, and, and the fact that it went the right way I think is a, a really cool thing. I was going to point to Keith, and he's pointing to me, so that means I need to ask another question then. When you say it could have gone either way, and we've talked about this, I think 
the great majority thought that it was going to go straight over the cliff and be uh, a heap of a mess at the bottom. Epic fail. Yeah, I mean, is that where you were leaning on it? I mean, I feel like that's what most people expected at that point. In so many words, I think so, yeah. And, you know, if you want to look at maybe the play that that saved the season, uh, I would look at Demarcus Walker and that blocked extra point against Miami. Now, the game, even if he hadn't blocked, it would have gone to overtime and maybe Florida State would have won. However, I think if, if you were to lose that game at Miami, I think it could have been potentially a debilitating loss. And so the fact that they were able to, to win that game down there, get an emotional victory over a rival, which at the time was undefeated, I think it was a really huge deal. And, and now you're you know in a situation where your only loss over the last month and a half of the season or so was to Clemson, who was in the playoff, and you probably could have won that game. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought that – yeah, would you say uh, a heap at the bottom of the cliff or whatever? Yeah, that's, that sounds like it's probably on the table after that North Carolina loss. No, the season, uh, the season was going to turn about the way this communication and this this the telephone call is going. Are we? Uh, yeah, are we having a hard time? Yeah, but we'll live with it. I have a question for you that no one's ever explored before. But is is Harbaugh the new Spurrier? Huh, that's a good uh, good little illustration. I don't know. I hadn't thought of it that way. But- I think he's probably a good candidate. Uh, kind of drives everybody crazy. Really good coach, uh, willing to speak his mind, and isn't the guy who's going to sort of you know play the game for lack of a better word. I kind of like that. I Wears think, goofy glasses every time, every once in a while. I was going to say I think he drinks milk with his steak goofy. dinner. I think he's just goofy. Who drinks milk with a steak dinner? <laughs> probably, probably makes orders it well done too, right? I don't, it is interesting that uh, Florida State's going to get a firsthand look at Harbaugh. We'll go through all the press conferences and all that. In light of the, you know, holding uh, spring practice down at IMG and the talk of satellite camps and, and all that thing, um, and he versus Urban. I mean, this 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 really isn't. I've already seen some of the rankings of the games, once you, of the bowl games. Once you get outside of the two playoff games, uh, some lists have this one at the top. If it's not at the top, it's maybe second behind the Rose Bowl, maybe because that's Penn State and USC. But I mean, this is a marquee matchup. No, it is for sure. I mean, it's, it's great. You had two of the the heavyweights of college football who remarkably have only played twice throughout their history. Uh, from Florida State's perspective, uh, I don't mean any knock on Northern Illinois or, or Houston, but for Florida State, especially for Florida State fans, to have a a, a big time bowl game that's a in the Eastern Time Zone and B against a marquee opponent. Uh, it really is it, it, to me really exciting because but when you think about like the uniform combinations, you know the the garnet gold versus the maize and blue ugliest and helmet in America. Oh, oh, remember that line? No, some people think it's great though. <laughs> That's the line from uh, what was the name of that movie? Are you going to do this again? I have no idea. My the, the big chill. A big chill. Ugliest. Every every in time you do a reference, it's like a thirty year old reference. I'm old. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, yeah. Anyway, well, you, you got a point there. You, you, he did. You mentioned Northern Illinois, so that's a perfect segue because I'll point out that Jordan Lynch was a Heisman Trophy finalist, and Dalvin Cook has not been. I'll allow you to explain. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know how to explain it. I, I don't get it. And everybody, you know, I would see on uh, on Twitter, uh, folks say, "Oh, you know, he's he's not a Heisman finalist, and we never expected him to be, and all that." I mean, I guess you know, I kind of was okay with it, just knowing that it, it is what it is on the on the Heisman type stuff, and I hate that saying, but sometimes it applies. But then I saw that Oklahoma had two finalists, and I was like, "What? Like that's just it's just craziness to me that that uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I, we, I don't know if we, you can start grading on a scale 
when it comes to these awards, but they're obviously so heavily based on statistics. And, uh, you know, what, what would Dalvin have done against a Big 12 defense? And I'm not saying the ACC defenses were, were that great, but, I mean, look, some of them were. And, and the, the Big 12, it's, it's almost like a different sport with you know, the way they're putting up 77 points every game. So it would have been one thing, I think, if it had been Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson and maybe one other guy uh, ahead of Dalvin Cook. But, but two players from Oklahoma I thought was just kind of silly and, I don't know. You just try, try, try not to let it bother you. Do something else on Saturday night and, and kind of go from there. Because otherwise, I think it defies logic that he wouldn't at least have, have a seat at the table. Guys, I'm going to try to do my best Jeff Cameron impersonation. Oh, this should be good. They look like clowns. <laughs> Who? Yeah, the, the I, voters? I find that. The voters. That wasn't a very good impression, but I agree That's with the, the best sentiment. I had. The, well, here's the thing. I, I was thinking back pre-Dalvin. You know, everybody always thinks that the, their best player is going to be a Heisman candidate. And I didn't think uh, in Jimbo's offense that a running back could ever be a candidate because he's all about balance. And and prior to Dalvin with his running backs, he'd been all about a running back rotation too. I mean, with, with Devontae and the others, you weren't getting 30 touches a game. You were getting 12, 15. So the fact that Dalvin has been so good to even force us to have this conversation speaks to Dalvin. Um, but then if you step away... Uh, he, yes, Dalvin had more carries than what Jimbo typically gives, but he didn't. He wasn't 35, 40 carries, Ricky Williams, Ron Dane type. And, and so the statistics were not 280 yards a game or whatever those have been for some running backs. I don't know how many carries the Texas running back this year averaged. Um, I guess I can kind of see it too. Tim, to me, there, there's a myriad of reasons. I think last year he was hurt by the shadow from the negative light FSU was being viewed in. Jameis DeAndre Johnson slash Dalvin's own off-field issues slash Leonard Fournette was the front runner for the first two-thirds of the season last year slash FSU's been out of college football playoff contention early in the season the last two years slash you had other candidates from the ACC in your reach. So there's a lot of reasons. A lot of slashes. That's a lot of slashes. It's a long run-on sentence. Um that's the best way I can explain it, though. I have an yeah, explanation, and I, and I just wonder if if all those those factors from last year that you mentioned maybe just lingered in the minds of enough voters. It, it's a theory, at least. I I have an explanation, a theory. Is it going to require a Jeff Cameron impression nope. again? Good, good. Dalvin could have been a candidate and may have won the Heisman if he had changed his last name to Willard. Oh, because of the only only Knowles whose last name start with W win the Heisman? Yes. That's about as good a theory as anybody else's. You know, it's hey, I, so far it's infallible. So it is. You got Ward, Winky, and Winston. And what's interesting is Weldon finished second, and Warwick would have won it were it not for Dillard. So yeah, if you got a last name W, so who's that leave on the team right now? I don't have a. What's roster Delvin's middle name? Delvin's middle name. Do we, do we have some help here? I don't have a roster in front of me. Who? I, who? It's, it's, I think it's a, it starts with a J. That's all I got. For all right, you. So no, all you no got. W's anywhere. Well, he was doomed. <laughs> When is he going to make the announcement, Tim? Before the bowl? After the bowl? Is he going to shock the world and announce he's coming back because he's so mad at the Heisman voters? He wants one more <laughs> chance? Whatever the announcement will be, uh, I think we all think that he'd, he'd probably be leaning towards uh, leaving school and going to the NFL. Nobody would blame him. But whatever the, the, the case may be, historically under Jimbo Fisher, it almost always happens after the bowl game. I think that's kind of what he likes. My, my hunch is that he requests guys. To, to please just wait until after the game. Even in the locker room after the game, we've seen some guys do it do it then, but I don't I can't think of anybody who has made that announcement before the bowl game. I don't expect Dalvin to be the first. Yeah, Leonard Fournette went ahead and made the announcement, but in the case of LSU, they're sort of in transition anyway. They're still hiring coaches and he, plus is he even going to play in the bowl? 
I mean, with that ankle the way it is. I, I think he will, but I don't know that we know. Right. And, and uh, well, that gives us a good segue, too. Are you surprised at this point that Derwin James is probably not going to play the bowl game? Yes and no. It kind of depends on what the reasoning is for. Uh, if it's because the injury is, is worse than we anticipated and he's seriously not ready, can't play, then that surprises me a little bit just because we all sort of thought that the severity of the injury wasn't as severe as it apparently, uh, apparently is. If it's just because... You know, it's close, and he probably could play, but there's a slight risk. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's a great game against Michigan, but it is an exhibition, and if there's any chance whatsoever that you could jeopardize his status going forward, then it's just not worth the risk. So, yeah, I I am surprised, especially, I guess my question would be, if this were a playoff game, what are the chances he would play? And I guess we'll never know the answer, given that it's a hypothetical, but, but that's how the question sort of swings to me, you know? No, that makes sense. And, you know, they said that they, there was no reason to redshirt him. He would come back and play a game or two. But if he doesn't play the Orange Bowl, at that point, you do apply for the medical hardship. Why not? Because he only played the first two games. It's probably not going to matter at the end of the day. He's a one more year here well, and I think, player. I think, too, to be fair for maybe those that had this in the back of their mind, the way they repaired that is what's necessitated him being out. Right. They right. could have gone in and shaved that thing and cut it down, and he could have been back playing much sooner. They chose what is in his best long-term interest to sew that thing up and keep it together and let it heal. Um, that's the way it was explained to me. So I, I don't want anybody thinking that that, 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 that that folks need to understand that the, the medical decisions that were made were intended to be made in his best long-term interest. Yeah, and that's, that's how I understand it too, Keith. And it's, it's kind of funny how it seems to me every year, every other year, there's sort of a a trendy injury a couple of years ago. I remember the Liz Franck. Everybody was getting the Liz Franck injury. Uh, this year it seemed like the, the meniscus tear was all over the place, both in college football and professional football. And, you know, a great example of that is uh, Adrian Peterson uh, with the Vikings. He had the, the meniscus tear, and, and he had what I believe was the reparation that Derwin James did, and he still hasn't played. And he got hurt, I think, in week two or three, whereas Ben Roethlisberger, the Steelers quarterback, tore his meniscus against the Dolphins, and I think three weeks later, was back on the field. He had the short-term operation. And it's not just a matter of what's in your best long-term interest. It has to do with how you tear the meniscus as well. And sometimes so, it can't be repaired if, right, it, if exactly. the tear is so severe. And ironically enough, when it can't be repaired and they just have to go in and clean it out or what have you, you can actually get back faster even though it's a more severe injury. It's kind of weird. Tim, I've got more questions uh, from sports besides football. But before we do that, we're going to queue up uh, rapid fire here and Pull out our red pen and grade your performance from last week. Now, if you recall, there were some questions that uh, are still TBD because they involve the bowl game and some things that we don't have final answers to. So we have skimmed it down. This is the abbreviated version. And, re- and remember also, we're talking about somebody who starts slow, but usually usually finishes strong. We'll see I'm if, a second half guy. We'll see if that pattern uh, continues. This is rapid fire. Here we go. Here we go. Are you, do you, uh, I know you're from you're from here in the Panhandle, Tim. Are you aware of where Yeehaw Junction, Florida is? Uh, nope, I'm not. Okay. The basic question is, will Florida State's bowl game be north or south of Yeehaw Junction? Okay, so Orlando or Miami? Yes. It's one or the I'm, other. Are they going to be I'll, in the Orange Bowl or the Citrus Bowl? I'll take the under on the map. I say Orange Bowl. Or, that is the under on the map. Very, very well, well, very well played. Number of invitees to the Heisman Trophy ceremonies, which actually aren't this week, but next week. How many people are going to uh, join Lamar? Uh, I'm setting the over under at three and a half. 
I say under. I think it'll be three. These are not over-unders. This is just uh, Pick em. for entertainment purposes only this weekend. Virginia Tech Clemson. Your winner is? Clemson. Penn State, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Colorado, Washington. Colorado. Alabama, Florida. Alabama. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma. All right, there you go. We will uh, tally the results. I don't feel too confident about a lot of those, though. i got to be You know, a week ago, we finished up, and he said, and think of how close I was on those three I missed, and we talked about how that's what Vegas wants you to believe. This week, he came out of it and said, yeah, I didn't feel very confident about that. I think your total, what was that, four and three last week? Five and four, something like that? And, uh, I think that's right. I think you're like 13 and nine overall. So you're winning money. You're, I mean, you're ahead of the game right now in Vegas. Vegas would like you to come spend the Christmas holidays with them, as a matter of fact. And there's, there's a great array of bowl games if you'd like to invest your future uh, earnings in that. I mean, they've got a plan for you. Well, when Wisconsin was up by four touchdowns or whatever it was, I was on the phone booking my, uh, my vacation for the spring, but, but I since had to cancel it. Yeah, well, that's probably wise in light of Penn State's comeback. All right, let's let's bounce off of football. We're not going to play rapid fire this week because it's a bye week, and uh, and we're lazy. We didn't come and, up and with we're any lazy. questions. Yeah, we've got no questions. Um, you heard the same whispers that Keith and I did. I'm sure that PJ Savoy could shoot the basketball a little bit. Uh, were you aware that by a little bit they meant a lot? Well, I don't know that I was uh, aware that they meant by that much, but but yeah, it was it was interesting because. It's pretty rare to hear Leonard Hamilton talk about a newcomer, especially unsolicited as much as he did with this kid in preseason camp. You know, everybody wanted to talk about Jonathan Isaac, and then after that, Trent Forrest and C.J. Walker were topics of conversation once he got past Jonathan Isaac. But almost in every conversation centered around Florida State's new players or centered around Florida State's offense, and as you can imagine, there's been quite a few conversations about those, he would always find a way to bring up P.J. Savoy, always. And it was always sort of be like, well, okay, but but Jonathan Isaac, uh, and it turns out that that he's right. That that, that kid, uh, you know, look, Southern Miss, I think, is probably one of the worst teams that Florida State's going to play this year, maybe the worst. But shooting is shooting, right? Uh, and and I understand the looks and, and what have you can be maybe a little bit easier than they'll be in the ACC. But if you can you know square up and knock down a three point shot, that's typically a skill that you know can translate. So I mean, what a huge weapon for for them going forward, especially if he can translate that into some of these more difficult games and uh, kind of a cool thing to see somebody who could potentially be a major contributor sort of emerge a month or so into the season. This time last year, where, where did, where was he? Wyoming or South Dakota? Sheridan college and Sheridan, Wyoming. Sheridan, how in the world did they even find him? Also begs question. the question. You know, Leonard has those back channels, man. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure every college basketball coach in America has, has stories or connections like that, but, he might be the most well-connected, under-the-radar coach in college basketball. If you sit and talk with him, I don't know if you've ever done this, but like he can tell stories from the road and, oh, I know this coach and knew that guy, and you know we crossed paths in 1978 and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I, he, he might know somebody in every city in America. He potentially unearthed many a rattlesnake during his career, turning over rocks all around. the. We were talking about rattlesnakes earlier, uh, Tim. I'm just dropping that in for, for Keith's okay. sake. Um, yeah, but anyway, it's a good problem to have with P.J. Savoy. We mentioned that the, the men play – now, they play tomorrow night, back end of a doubleheader following the women's game against Florida, and, and the men are going to beat Nichols at – they tip at nine, which which sets the stage really. And I hate that it's it's this way, but I feel like they've got one chance here in the non-conference to get the rest of the community hooked and actually buying in and believing that this team is the real deal – and it comes down to Sunday at four against the Gators, and they'll probably, hopefully, they'll be a decent crowd. 
and people will either leave there very enthused, excited, and saying, yes, I believe, or they'll go back and say, yeah, I've heard this song and dance before, and I'll see you next year. And I hate that I'm summing it up that way, but it feels like that's where we've been the last few years. Yeah, I think so, especially for, for casual fans who maybe haven't paid attention as much or, or watched this team much, which I don't blame you in November and December if you're still focused on football. But but you're right, and, and in a way, it's almost a shame that Florida got beat by Duke last night. You would love for them to be coming in uh, on a little bit of positive momentum in their own right. But, yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun game. It should be a pretty decent atmosphere. Uh, Florida State has, has gotten the better of Florida in, in the last couple of years, which uh, is not rare, but but something that, that you, you like to see for, for the basketball team. And, and both those last two games have been pretty dramatic with Dwayne Bacon with the late-game winner and then if you remember two years before, the, the, the Florida kid with the tip-in uh, on his own uh, on his own basket, that was kind of a strange yep. turn of events. Yeah, it was a heads-up play. Hey, you know, for, <laughs> for, for somebody. Ever, we, were, we were all watching that in the uh, the media hotel out at the Rose Bowl. Nobody could be, could be there. So on a side note, I'm, I'm happy to be able to actually go to a Florida State-Florida game. Usually it's always a day or two before the bowl game, and, and you have to miss it. So I think Florida State probably matches up well against the Gators. I was talking to somebody over in the basketball offices the other day, and in Florida, they're kind of tough to get a read on in that I said they're almost like a, a basketball equivalent of their football team. Not that they're going to get you know beat by 40 by Alabama, but just that they're ranked highly. But I don't know that they really have anybody that super scares you. And, and you're not quite sure what to make of them just yet, but they, they were winning games and are a bit of a name brand in college basketball. So I think they're, they're, they're ranked in the, in the low, low end of the top 25. But we're not quite sure exactly what that team's potential is yet so maybe we'll know a little bit more on uh, on sunday and, and if you're florida state you'd like to maybe knock that down a little bit but if you're right Tom, in terms of the community and, and getting people involved uh, in tallahassee no matter what the sport is be- beating florida is a great way to, to get people to rally behind you no question everything feels better and that is once again a perfect segue to my final question of the day because the volleyball team beat florida last week and I guess my question is, there's a lot of great coaches on the FSU staff when you look at what, obviously, Jimbo's done and what Coach Sue has done and Mark Corian's done. I don't know that anybody gets more out of his program than what Chris Poole does, and, and that's because hashtag they play at Tully Gym as their home floor, which makes it very tough to recruit, and yet here he is again in the Sweet 16. Absolutely. I think that program's been on a pretty strong upward trajectory really since he got here, and that's a program that more than maybe any anybody else had really gotten kind of stale. It was not a great situation. I remember covering that volleyball program back when I was stringing at the Tallahassee Democrat several years ago, and it just it just sort of had a bad vibe to it. And and Chris Poole's a guy I think everybody likes him in the athletics department. Just a really really smart guy, um, fun to talk to, and, and it's obvious that his players like him a lot. And that's a, that's a pretty monumental win for them. They've always had a tough time with Florida traditionally, even under Chris Poole, um, to beat them on the road in an NCAA tournament setting, especially after falling behind by two sets uh, and basically being on the verge of defeat, I think really speaks to them. We'll see what happens moving forward, but there's no question that this is a sort of a, a watershed type of win for, uh, for Florida State. And it's funny, I was talking to our buddy Lane Hurt, who was down there covering for Seminoles.com, and he said that Florida State played so poorly in those first two sets and, and was so embarrassed by, by the way they had performed that he has said that he, it almost worked in their favor. Like if they had you know, played close and lost those first two sets, maybe you just sort of you know, go out there and then try in the third set and, and maybe you win and maybe you don't. But he said they were just so upset 
gotten so angry by how poorly they had played that it actually kind of sparked them to, to play better than maybe they would have been capable of over those next three sets. And, and, I, and I made, I made the, uh, the, the, uh, the observation that it could have lulled Florida into a false sense of security as well. And he said, well, at, at that point, it wasn't a false sense of security. It was a legitimate sense of security. So well, anyway, and, that's and, probably and, more volleyball talk than you're expecting. And, and for those that weren't aware, I didn't know until I read the story. FSU dropped those first two sets, best three out of five, dropped those first two. They're in the third set. They're down 22-20. 25 wins. That that would have been the fourth set because in the fifth set they just go to 15. So in the fourth set they came back from 22 20. I didn't even know that. I think in the third set they came back from 30. They would have had to be. Yeah, if they had lost the third, they would have have lost the match. I mean, they they were beaten and came all the way back. Good stuff. So now they're heading up to sunny Madison, Wisconsin to see if they can keep it going. Well, that's where everybody wants it. That's why all the bowl games are played in Wisconsin. Particularly in December. NCAA volleyball postseason. Tim, thank you. You got it, guys. We'll do this again next week. He is our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. We uh, we covered about everything there, didn't we? Well, yes. Yeah, we did. And we will react to it when we continue momentarily on the front row. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. bonus for you this week because keith and i were too lazy to line up another guest in addition to tim so you just get to sit back and enjoy more conversation between kj and yours truly open up that second gallon of eggnog and join us exactly exactly this is what's called uh the end of the football season by the way did you notice that uh bob and nancy hobson stopped by when we were doing the uh uh, pregame show from from uh, langford green and uh, we haven't had a chance to talk much about it, but uh, I'm still really, really, really liking my silver. I was hoping that he was going to have keys and a little, you know, wrapped in a little small package there. But I do need to go see Bob because uh, I am in the uh, in the car shopping market. Uh, as soon as I can find some time to go do it, highly recommend the Silverado. There, yeah, I, I bet you do. Uh, I was, you know, we we're talking about Dalvin Cook, and there's there's absolutely no reason that he would come back. I, I mean, well, there is, there are reasons, but. The reasons are overwhelming to go. The reason to come back would be that you're liking your Florida State experience, your college experience. This team's going to be pretty good next year. You just enjoy it. That would be the reason to come back. But the obvious reason to go is that you're putting so much tread on your tires. You, it, speaking of Silverados and, and Chevrolets, There's you, all, you, you got 100,000 miles, and you, you already got 25,000 on you. Do, do you. do you want to spend the next 15,000 miles in college or in the NFL earning some money? Because unlike a Silverado, you can't just replace the tires. And you can't buy an extended warranty. There you go. So he's going to need to go get paid. But, you know, the less than a half percent chance that he's actually toying with going the other way, uh, if he came back, he would get an insurance policy or two. And you're in the risk management business, so you can explain this better than I can. But... One would be if he was, uh, I guess, like a total disability, can't can't play. There, there's two types of policies out there. I, I have not personally sold them. I've consulted on a couple of them when, when players and or agents have had questions, and I just you know gave them a little direction. So by no means am I an expert. 
But there's two types of policies. Number one is what's called the career-ending disability. That's where you blow out the knee. If you're a quarterback, you blow out the shoulder. That's where you are unable to play professionally at any level and earn income. The second one is a value policy. And that's a policy where you suffer some form of injury and you were projected to be 1 through 10 uh, uh, pick right. and you drop to the and third you drop to, to to the third round and there's a there's a schedule in there it says if you drop this far you get this amount if you drop that far you get the other amount most kids now are buying both of those policies I do not know if they're combinable I just know they're two different exposures well, and you wouldn't say most most kids that come back the schools are actually able to purchase these and pay the premiums for them, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, and that's, that, a, cha- that's, that's, that's a change. That's a change. Used to be, used yeah. to be, the kid could borrow the money; it had to get approved. But there, there was a, a procedure where the, the uh, athlete would borrow the money and then pay it back once they received their signing bonus or first paycheck. However, it worked. Now, uh, through that uh, the, the the schedule fund uh, that's available to do things like buy, uh, you know, the kids that go to the ACC kickoff meeting, they'll buy them a shirt and a pair of slacks or something so that they all look alike and all the teams yeah. are dressed in the same fashion. If a kid needs to go home because a grandparent passes away, a mom dies, or there's an emergency, that type of thing. So, yes, it's correct. And some of these policies are, are big dollars, and there are critics out there that say, you know, why is the school? paying 30 or 40 or 50 thousand dollars uh out of out of school resources to protect this individual well the, the reason is real simple it's the same reason the nfl buys insurance to protect guaranteed contracts in that regard hate to say it but the athlete is a commodity it's just like insuring a building against fire Right. You're, you're protecting your investment. The university is protecting their investment. They're going to get the return of that kid coming back to pay play another year. The principles are all the same. So let me – it strikes me that the loss of value would be a lot easier to ultimately collect than the can't ever play again. And maybe I'm wrong in this. From the standpoint, Dalvin's going to get a grade from the NFL. They're going to say you're a sure bet first-round pick. If he same, somehow came back and blew out his knee – and the next year he goes in the fourth round. Well, it's pretty quantifiable, and you would get that loss of value. But maybe he's just a step slower. He's still good enough to play in the league, but he doesn't play 10 years now. Now he plays four years, and he's the backup running back instead of the starter. How do you ever collect on that? You, ba- you basically can't. Right. That, that's-, that's a risk of, of doing business, as we call it. And that ultimately is why he has to turn pro. Well, and that's, that's the biggest reason why he has to turn pro. The other part of it, going back to your Heisman, uh, analogy and Corey Clark from the Democrat had a very good article in the paper this morning, Wednesday morning, in the Democrat talking about uh, Warwick Dunn and who actually won the Heisman, who finished where, and then compared that with Warwick Dunn's NFL career versus those other players' professional career. And it begs, it does beg the question. Dalvin could say to himself, "I want to come back because I want to win the Heisman Trophy." Now, he's not going to do that, but he could say that. So he comes back through seven games. He's got uh, 1,600 yards, and all of a sudden he blows out a knee, and he's ruined for life. Well, is it better to give up on the Heisman dream and go play in the NFL and play 12 years or however long like Warwick did or to come back for another year and try to earn a Heisman? I would suggest to you it's the latter. Uh, that's just the reality of the world we live in. Which is why that announcement is going to come, and he's going to go pro, and, and we're going to wish him the best because it's been a tremendous run here. Um, 
different situation than Demarcus Walker, who was not a sure bet first round pick a year ago and had a lot more reward potentially for having a good senior year than he did risk and, and think about this too and might have still had an insurance policy i don't, I don't know well, and i'm pretty sure dalvin did this year as well i haven't ever confirmed it but it wouldn't have surprised me if dalvin didn't do that this year however uh one thing to think about and this is a hard thing to evaluate and it's a hard conversation to have with an athlete all right let's look at uh dalvin and 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 demarcus all right dalvin now a junior all-time rushing leader. What what skills do da- does Dalvin need to work on to make him better in the NFL? None. He did that last year. He had to, had to learn. He had to have the ability to right. catch he's, the ball. He's rounded out his portfolio. And and Jimbo has called some plays, intentional, coincident, or otherwise, to get him the ball in open space and show what he can do catching the ball. All right. Go back to last year. What did Demarcus need to get better at if he was going to be? A, a, a top pick he he had to get stronger demarcus was a late bloomer he had to get stronger he could do the he could do the 360 he could cut inside but he spent another year in the weight room added a few pounds now they move him down over a guard he's not at defensive end he's actually at defensive tackle and he can bull rush now and that's the biggest thing demarcus did from last year to this year that makes him money yeah. and, and he will be a very high draft pick Thought it was good to have that conversation, even though the the the, the odds of Dalvin coming back to FSU are slim. And I, I don't I don't want Dalvin to come back. Yeah. I, I don't want to be watching broadcasting or otherwise that game, the seventh game of his senior year, when he blows that knee out and ruins him forever. Uh, if he's going to blow his knee out and ruin him forever, I want him to be a rookie playing for some NFL team that's already at least got his first contract exactly. And started the clock on a second. All right. Speaking of the clock, we uh, are looking at it, and it's uh, time to take tick, a break. Tick, we'll do tick. Yes, tick. we'll come back with more of the front row momentarily. Talk. We don't need no thought control. You're listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at thefrontrow at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on The Front Row, Tom and Keith with you. I suppose we should talk a little bit about the actual orange bowl game there'll be plenty of time to do that between now and december 30th but the national perception and the point spread everybody's going to pick michigan in this game Uh, and the highlights you know i hate to say it but saturday night when we watch the heisman trophy presentation it's going to look like the fsu defensive bloopers award show when they show lamar jackson's highlights so just know that's what you're going to see when, if you tune when in. When he wins the Heisman, which everyone expects him to, he better send Florida State's defense a thank you note. I mean, their FSU's defense is going to be featured prominently in that. But that's also what uh, you know, casual Michigan fan or casual national college football fan has seen this year is FSU not doing well because they didn't pay attention to FSU the last six weeks. But bottom line I'm getting at is the – the general consensus is going to be that Michigan's going to win easily in the Orange Bowl. I've already seen it several sources or several sites. What do you think? Well, two things. Number one, um, you, you got to you look at the season, and you would say that Michigan's season was better than Florida State's, and that they should win by seven or ten points. Okay, but what happens in bowl games is you you really need to look at the last two or three games, and then you need to look at the track record of how teams prepare for the bowl 
Florida State's last two or three games were very, very good. Track record not necessarily good in bowls. Florida State's not been as successful in goal games. You know, at one time Coach Bowden won what thirteen in a row, thirteen consecutive. Well, the track record's only not good for two years. Right. I mean, historically, but my, it's but pretty my good. point is, when you start peeling things back, the second part of my comment. You and I had uh, our, our, had dinner last night with Bob Thomas from the FSU Sports Information Office, and and Bob's one of those metric nerdy guys. He can he can start looking into numbers and trends and and those types of things, and he's already started pulling. And he was sharing some of that with us, the the metrics behind the seasons and, and, and what exactly is this Michigan defense? What types of passing offenses have they faced versus where Florida State is as a passing offense? Florida State's defense in terms of the passing offenses that it's faced where Michigan doesn't fare so well as a passing offense. There's a body of thought, and I think this will get brought out as we spend more and more time talking about this matchup, that from the from the eye judgment and from the body of work judgment there's legitimacy that that michigan should be a seven or a ten point favorite get that no one no no debate about that but when you start looking at those metrics and i'm not a huge metric guy and maybe i'm being hypocritical because now i'm focusing on metrics because they're in my advantage or to my favor for my team well it just depends which metric exactly exactly (laughs) but i think what will happen is it gets studied and looked at more and more is that it's maybe not that big a difference the bigger thing, the third part of my comment is Jimbo. Jimbo relishes these kinds of things. Jimbo relishes being, you can't win this game. Jimbo relishes that defense will shut you down. You cannot run the ball against that defense. Or, or conversely, that defense is going to take the passing game away from you and make you one-dimensional and run the ball. He relishes that crap. That's a personal affront to his ability as an offense coordinator, head coach, and a quarterback coach, and he, he attacks it. You're speaking to something that the people who love metrics don't want to acknowledge or don't pay great credence to, and that's motivation incentive which uh, is hard to quantify but in my mind especially in the college game is a factor it's much bigger than it is in the nfl i would think i, I never played in the nfl but the, the emotion and and, and and it's a factor this fsu team will be motivated i can't speak for michigan and whether they're they'll be motivated because they're playing in the orange bowl or they'll be disinterested because they got stuck with fsu instead of being in the playoff i can't speak to that i know fsu will be motivated and all we have to do game. is go back and look at the houston game last year fsu off the charts metric wise against Houston in many categories, but really didn't want to be there and kids didn't show up and didn't play. The metrics Bob Thomas was talking about, and this isn't – I think he was just looking at total defense. I don't know if it was S&P adjusted or or what, but the premise, and I don't have it in front of me, is that if you look at who Michigan's played, four of the passing offenses they faced were like 115th or worse. Another four were 80th or worse. So they faced eight of – eight of 12 opponents that were in the bottom third, third in terms of passing offenses in the country this year. Uh, and then Florida State, in terms of total defenses, has played seven games against top 39 defenses or something when you look at Clemson and Florida and Boston College and NC State and Miami and the rest. Uh, but again, you can choose your metric on that uh, and figure it out. Uh, you, you make your argument either way. My point, I, I, my I, point is simply the eye test would go to Michigan. The metric test probably goes to Florida State, which makes it for a very interesting matchup. Yeah, I think it is. It's going to be. Uh, it's going to be a fun game to watch, no question. All right, we'll step aside and come back and wrap things up uh, here on the front row. Stay with us.
listening to The Front Row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at thefrontrow at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. As we wrap up, we will uh, share some uh, parting thoughts. Keith, I want to congratulate you, by the way, because uh, we're at the point where Lamar Jackson is going to win the Heisman Trophy, and you've stopped calling him Lamar Thomas. Amazing, isn't it? It, it, took it to only this- took 12, 15 times. <laughs> <laughs> he is going to win, right? I mean, it's not I, even going to be close. I, that, I, if I was a betting man, that would be what I would bet on. I'm inter- Yeah, I think he's going to win, too. I'm interested to see how much Deshaun closed the gap. Uh, you know, we're think about it. We, we're complaining about Dalvin not making the cut. Think about Clemson fans who've had Deshaun Watson for two years, and he may leave without winning a Heisman. And he I was mean, there. And, and he was there. It, he it, got invited. Yeah, and he. I mean, and uh, that one's going to be a tough. And and from a bigger picture standpoint, program. If Clemson doesn't win the title this year, and we've talked about this a little bit, they will have just had the greatest era in their program's history. Arguably, I guess they you'd have become, to say their national will, title was, but the greatest quarterback they've had come through, and they didn't get it done. They will become the Buffalo Bills of the NCAA. Yeah, I don't know if they're quite there yet, but that said, they do have the upper hand in the series with get, FSU right now. So I don't, credit, think, I don't get credit for the analogy. That was a pretty good analogy. Well, in deference to you know Ron Vetrano, general. I was just going to say station. Ron Vetrano, being the Buffalo Bills fan that he is, anytime. What I like to do to Ron every now and then is ask him if, if he's seen Thurman Thomas's helmet because Thurman's still on the sideline looking for it, if you remember that Super Bowl. That'll that'll raise his blood pressure up. All right, two other quick claims. Number one, hats off, congratulations to Derek Brooks and, uh, inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Right. And the Bowdens were recognized last night by the National Football Foundation as the, as the winningest dynasty of – coaching family i think is how it is the bowden dynasty which by the way is the name of a movie that's coming out in, in january we'll talk about that as we get a little closer to it but uh bobby terry and and uh and uh um, tommy. tommy as head coaches jeff as an assistant coach uh were honored in new york last night along with Derek's being inducted into the hall of fame that's just wonderful one good stuff congratulations all around and uh folks we are finished up hope that uh you enjoyed the bonus time you got to spend with keith and i tonight even though the show was the same length of time we didn't have another guest so there you go more of us to love we'll try harder for next week he's keith i'm tom so long everybody